reading from Luke's introduction to his gospel, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Hi everyone. I think I have a new arch nemesis and his name is Porker. Let's uh, get into this uh, passage today. Let me pray and then we'll consider God's word together. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we have your word and it's a word we can have confidence in. We ask that you help us uh, today to hear your word and to live by it. Amen. Let me ask you, put up your hand if there's some aspect of your life where you would like a little bit more confidence. Yeah, pretty much all of us. There's at least one aspect, if not all aspects of our life where we would love a little bit more confidence. As a kid, I could just list all the things that I did and so I would have liked more confidence there. But the pointy end was as a kid, his whole schooling life went to an all-boys school, went to an all-boys high school, went into the city to an all-boys school, turns up to his first day at uni to do... uh, what's predominantly a female course, occupational therapy, being nervous about that as it is, to meet the first person I meet in my course and for her to say, oh, so you're the only guy doing our course with us of 50 people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My voice cracked, I freaked out and I had no confidence whatsoever. Thankfully, there was eight boys and about 60 girls and by the end of it, I had lots of confidence Most of my friends at uni were girls, so everything was fine. But I really could have liked confidence at the beginning. I wonder whether we think confidence is something we'd like, but it's actually not always easy to attain. It's not something that we can just say, you know what, Brian, have more confidence. And done, he's got confidence. It doesn't work like that. It does work like that for Brian. Excellent, great. Um, but it doesn't for me, and I suspect that's not for us. What Luke wants for Theophilus is to have confidence in the Christian message that he knows about. He wants him to have a certainty so he can have confidence in it. And this confidence, he says, this is what I'm going to go and do for you now. How does Luke go about giving Theophilus confidence? Well, what we see in the beginning, this little introduction, is kind of his methodology. Before we spend the next few weeks looking at, uh, looking at the Christmas narrative and finding out about uh, how Jesus uh, came into the world, what he's come to do and the great story that that is, Luke is setting up not just that story, that narrative. He's not just setting up what happens in Luke's gospel, the first part, the second part, or all of it. Also, what happens once Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts. 
and how the church starts. And he's saying, I'm, I've got all this, I put this for you so that you can have confidence. How does he go about it? Well, there's two things I think he does. The first one is he builds on what already has been done. So he builds on what already has been done so that Theophilus can know that he's not just making something up. He's not just Porker talking to Oinka and coming up with his own story. He's building on the accounts that have gone before. And what I want to do is for us to look at how he talks about those previous accounts in the first two verses and then see the second part of his argument where he talks about what he has done. And what I'm hoping today is that you'll see that we can have confidence in the Christian message if we look and investigate in, our, in Luke's Gospel and in the rest of the Scriptures. So let's start off and have a look at verse 1 and we see it there on the screen. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. You see, what we have here is many have gone before. What he's saying is, he's saying is that I'm not on my own. Many have gone before. That is the first important point that he's making to him. That I am building on the work of others and recounting what they've said about this man Jesus. He's building on their foundations that they have laid. So usually when I uh, try and write a talk, I don't just try and um, come up uh, with it on my own. I try and build on the foundations of others that have got a lot more wisdom and a lot more help. So with Luke, this great commentary by Professor Darrell Bock, I read that and built on that foundation because I found it helpful as he I was able to delve into the passage in depth and spent a lot more time on it than I could this week. And I was in some ways building on his foundation. This is what we've got here. He's saying... Others have provided an account, and I'm building on that. They themselves are not ad hoc. They, are, they drew it up. They compiled it. And it's important. It's important to see that all of these people, what they've drawn up and what they've gone on about, they didn't just record things. They had a reason for doing it. They had a focus. And their focus, well, we see it, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things uh, that have been fulfilled among us. See, they wanted to show fulfillment. They wanted to show the fulfillment of God's plan. And if you go through Luke, you will see that part of his argument, the overwhelming part of his argument is to say, Jesus is a fulfillment of what's been going on. What's been going on in the Old Testament, he litters throughout his accounts in Luke and Acts because it's so important to see that Jesus has been fulfilled. It's reliable. Promises were made and they've been kept. And as we go through the, the um, infancy narratives, we'll see the Old Testament fulfillments are really important. You see, the approach of the past was to take events from the past 
and bring them into the present and beyond by seeing how they fulfill them. And so Luke and Acts, which talk about Jesus, his death, his, re- his, uh, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and to seeing what happens um, in his name afterwards, is in line with that. But it's not just fulfillment. There is also the element where we see in the verse previously that has been fulfilled among us. It's not just something that's kind of out there that they've heard about. This happened and it was fulfilled. It's this happened amongst the eyewitnesses. Those who saw it at the beginning and to those who in later times are affected by it. It's happened. We have eyewitness accounts. And this is where I'm drawing on my foundations when I write to you, Theophilus. You see, the validity of all the accounts lie in what has been promised and it's coming fruition. Now, today, I was unable to fulfill a promise. Can't say sorry to the kids because they've gone to jam, but I promised them last week that uh, if they get ready and do a good job um, before church, we'll go over to Bongiorno's and have some breakfast before church. I can't say an account now that says... I fulfilled that promise because we got here at about 9.25 and there was no time for breakfast and I had to say to them, sorry guys, I'm really sorry, can we do it another time? I couldn't fulfill my promise. See, the witnesses see that there were things that were happening in the Old Testament, there were things that had been promised and that they have been fulfilled. There's never a moment in Luke's Gospel where... He has to say, well, yeah, it was promised that Jesus would fly in on a chariot and then he'd come and then he'd heal every single person in Jerusalem and then he'd, then he'd you know, do all these amazing things that every single person without fail would be healed and Rome would fall and every... That hasn't happened and we're really sorry. No, there's no made-up uh, promises that don't come true. That's where he's building his foundation. And so, what we actually have is we have an account in which he's drawing up from the eyewitnesses. He's drawing up an account from eyewitnesses. And so we see that in verse 2. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Which was the point um, with the kids today. There is a reliable basis because something has been handed down. There's an oral tradition that has been then written down and they're servants of the word. And this tradition is a way of uh, keeping the prosperity of, uh, posterity of history that was relied upon. And it happened from the beginning that those present then minister the word and then Luke comes on, on board and continues to share this same message. But notice in that verse how we see it says servants of the word. The message is about Jesus and his work. And it's a message about Jesus and his work for God's sake. They are servants of the word. It's not their own. This is a fantastic outlining 
that Luke is continuing in the tradition of those that have gone before. So if he's building on, if he is building on what has already been done, what does he do? Well, in verses 3 to 4, Luke, Luke outlines uh, what his work is going to be like, what he sought to do and why. And what he's done is, he's created his work to be a way in which it is designed to be trusted with 100% confidence. That's what he wants. He doesn't want Theophilus to have wonderings. He wants him to have certainty. So everything he writes, he says, believing in Jesus is not some kind of fanciful hope. It's a faith of just leaping in the dark. I've heard of this idea about a guy who's going to come and who's going to save everybody and wouldn't that be great? So we'll just believe in it and hopefully at the end it comes true. No, he's designed his work so it's a reasonable belief in something that can be trusted. And he does this, he does this by comprehensive investigation. By comprehensive investigation. Look at verse 3. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. See, what he wanted to do, he wanted to provide a comprehensive investigation. He wanted to provide a comprehensive investigation so that he could see that there was a lot of effort put into it, that it wasn't just made up. And so if we go back to the verse, we see that what he tried to do was help them to help Theophilus to see that he was following the events carefully. He looked to the past events. He may or may not have been involved in some of them or been close to them, but he really wanted him to see that those who were there, he drew from. He followed them closely. And so at the beginning of verse 3, we see with this in mind. It's a, it seemed good to me. Knowing that, we had the, the, the Christian message that it's been out there and people are believing it and Theophilus, uh, you, you've heard it. It makes sense to me that I'm in a position where I can really help you trust in it. And so he joins himself to those who have gone before. What he's doing is he's contributing to not contrasting. He's not saying... I'm a Holden man, Ford's a rubbish. Ford's a better, Holden's a rubbish. He's not saying that, you know, you can't, you can't trust in what's gone before. You can't buy a Holden because you've got to buy a Ford. He's not saying that. He's saying, what's been said before is the message. So let me show you why you can trust it. He's contributing, contributing to it, not contrasting it. And so, we see the extent of his investigation. It's from the beginning. We see that there in verse 3. He, he carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And so, as we go on to next week and we look at the, um, the narratives of, of Jesus' birth and, and John the Baptist, and we see 
Jesus coming into the world from the beginning. And so there's detail in Luke of that beginning because he wants to give him that thorough start. And he goes through and shows the fulfillment, fulfillment of, the, of the Christmas message from the Old Testament. The beginning is where he starts. But he doesn't just start at the beginning and go, that's enough. I too decided uh, to write, uh, sorry, in verse 3 again, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He's looking at all the events, going back to Jesus' birth and then going beyond it to seeing how Jesus lived his life, what he did, how, where he travelled, what places he went to, the fact that he goes to Galilee, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, and then the gospel goes out all the way to Rome in, in, uh, in Acts. And he does this carefully. From the beginning, everything, and carefully since I myself have carefully investigated everything. His thorough investigation meant he cared about details. And so he sought to find out about them. This is kind of a little bit like in our house, the phrase we have, was that a girl look or a boy look? I don't know if you know that phrase, but in our house is that when I look for something in the the cupboard and I can't find it, which is probably somewhere between 95 and 99% of the time, generally say to me, was that a girl look or was that a boy look? Because, and Ethan does the same thing actually, which is really funny. So we don't look look for things thoroughly enough. He didn't just kind of peek in and go, oh yeah, there's a bit about Jesus, but I can't really see, why did he do those things? No, I won't worry about that. There it is. And he thoroughly investigated. He went right into the back of the cupboard. There, happened to be the tin tomatoes on the shelf where they're supposed to be. They just happened to be underneath a whole bunch of things. He thoroughly investigated. See, this is someone who's comprehensively investigating the message. A great example of this, um, in chapter 2, verse 1, this is just a little minute example, but he cares about the history of it all. So in chapter 2, verse 1 in Luke, what do we find out about? Uh, he goes on to say, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that censures should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. Now, we know Quirinus was governor of Syria because there was a great historian in the Roman world, Tacitus, and he talks about this guy in this period at this time. And that's the kind of style that Luke takes to his account details to help us see its reliability that's just one small example you see he's comprehensively investigated so the second thing he does is he writes his account meticulously he looks at things in detail so then he can write about them thoroughly just like that example in chapter 2, verse 1. And as he does this, what we see is he actually goes about it from different avenues. The details in which he writes is so that there's actually a chronological order to Luke's gospel. But it's not completely thorough. There are times like the temptation narratives and when John the Baptist is in jail, where that's purposely moved around for other purposes. Because his orderly account also required uh, 
uh, he shows there's a geographical element. As I said, he shows where Jesus travels to, where the gospel goes out to in thorough, comprehensive detail. But the pinnacle point of Luke's account, which I want to just give us one example of, is that his meticulous account is pointing towards salvation history, the progress of salvation. And so as he started off by saying the others talked about fulfilment, he wants to show how the promise of salvation through history is, has been fulfilled, is being fulfilled and will at the final days. And so there's no surprises that, as I've mentioned, the Old Testament is throughout Luke, that what happens in Luke and the promises for the church play out in Acts. Let me give you one example. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, I didn't put it up on the screen. If you've got your Bible there open, you can go to Luke 4, but just listen on. Jesus is rejected in Nazareth as he, re- as he returns uh, there. Let me read a little bit for you. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from, uh, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, So he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus has just read Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. And it goes on. It's a quote. There might be nuances and it's often the Old Testament he, he uh, fulfills and shows the nuances of it all and, and it helps us understand it. But here Jesus is saying quite clearly the promise that was in Isaiah of the, the spirit of the sovereign Lord being on this character who's going to come and proclaim the good news is now being fulfilled in Jesus. And so he's in detail showing how this plays out over and over and over again. That's how we're to see Luke's account, how he's put it together. It's a brilliant account which is worthy of investigation because he's outlined for us quite clearly how he's gone about it and then we can test it. And so the third thing we see then is that knowledge can come with certainty. The knowledge of Jesus, of the Christian message, can come with certainty, with a confidence. And the way that happens is because of the way he's gone about it. And so he says to him in verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. There is a reason to have confidence. 
And it's not just because Luke rocks up to his mate Theophilus and says, like I just said to Brian a minute ago, just have confidence in it. It'll be good. Imagine how great it'll be. No, because drawing on those that have seen it, the eyewitness accounts, and painstakingly going through and showing fulfillment, showing how salvation history is fulfilled in Jesus, there is great confidence to be had. See, if Luke has done what he said, if he is following closely, if he has looked at it from the beginning, if he's gone into everything, if he's done it carefully, he can put together a reliable source with a detail that can be trusted. You see, what we're seeing here is an internal reliability in the Bible. If the Bible is something that we should read and consider to be God's Word, it can't say two things that are completely contradictory in itself. That would completely lessen our confidence. If I open up Luke's Gospel and at the end there and I find that Jesus rose from the dead, which, uh, which we do, but then I turn to John and John actually says, you know what? Some say he rose from the dead, but that doesn't really matter. He didn't actually rise from the dead. He's still in the tomb and there's his body. We would have a problem. What Luke is doing and what the all of the Bible does is it gives us internal reliability. And that is essential for us being able to trust it. Now, we're not going into it today, but to trust in the Bible, you also uh, need to draw on external reliability. Are there other sources outside of of the actual Bible itself which contribute to it? the external reliability sources. They might not give you the whole message, but they're going to build a picture which you can trust. Like I mentioned with Tacitus, the Jewish historian Josephus who talks about uh, these Christians and what they, what they believed, and other sources. The archaeology um, uh, uh, digs that uh, point to things in history and places we find and all those events are the external sources which show its consistency as well. But here within the Bible, we have a profound internal reliability where fulfillment in Luke and Acts is at the heart of it. And that, I don't know about you, gives me confidence to think that all the things that God has been saying from go to woe, the promises that are being made, we can see from eyewitness accounts have been fulfilled or are being fulfilled and we can look to the future when Jesus returns and see their final fulfillment. You see, this gives us confidence. And so Luke's work, Luke's work is there for us as it was for Theophilus. You see, he's saying to Theophilus, I know you've heard about Jesus. I know you've heard about Jesus, how he came as the Messiah, he's come, he came into the world, he's lived this great life, he's spoken about how he's bringing in the kingdom of God and there's his death and his resurrection and I know you've heard about him giving life. I want you to have confidence in it, my friend. I want you to be certain in it. I want you to know that you can not abandon it. If you've got those niggling questions... Go to my account. 
I have put all my effort into providing you with an account you can investigate. Is the Christian message real, Theophilus? Is it from God? I'm telling you it's an overwhelmingly yes response is what you need. And that's what my account is all about. Be reassured about what you've heard. That's how he's talking to Theophilus and how we can see it. And that's not just the picture of Luke and Acts, really. You see, this is the picture that the Bible continually paints for us. If you go into John's Gospel, he says, I'm writing this so that you'll know that you can believe in Jesus. Romans is full of uh, not just telling us Jesus died and how he saved us, but that you can have certainty in it. There is now no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. That great uh, chapter in chapter 8, which is all about you can have confidence. This is the gospel message. And so I want us to consider our confidence. You see, when it comes to Jesus, confidence is something we should want and we can have. See, God's plan of salvation is there for us all to see. And sometimes Christians kind of, and and you may feel this, and I know sometimes I kind of battle with it, we kind of feel like, yeah, it's there and I believe it, but I just don't have any confidence in it. I'm a Christian, but I don't have any confidence in it. Luke's writing his gospel and acts so that you don't think like that. That actually that's not the place for a Christian, that when you trust in Jesus, while we have our ups and downs, we can have confidence. And we should want it because of the nature of what Jesus has done for us. So what do we do to make sure that we can have this confidence to help us to remind ourselves of it. I've got three things that I want to reflect on. The last one I think is the m- significantly the most important for today. But first of all, when you read Luke-Acts, in some ways I've only just pointed us in the direction of confidence today because that's what Luke's done in this beginning. He's saying, now go and investigate. You need to investigate. When you read Luke and Acts, always read it in light of that introduction. Looking for the fulfilments looking for the plan of salvation, seeing how he's tracing it through uh, chronologically and, and, uh, and through the different places to see what he's saying about Jesus and why it can be trusted. And that's what we can do in the next few weeks as we look, look at the first uh, few chapters of the Christmas uh, story. We can see how detailed and how beautifully it's constructed so that we can have great joy in the fact that God has sent his son the Messiah, into the world to give us life. And that's a challenge for us because you know what I reckon? I reckon I'm in danger of doing what we kind of can do every Christmas. Glaze over the actual events. Yeah, yeah, Jesus came, he died and just get on with doing the Christmas things because we know the story. We've heard it over and over again. Is there a part of uh, the Gospels that we've heard anymore? Hopefully the cross and... and, uh, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. But every year, once a year, we go through this. Do we come back to it and just enjoy the confidence we can have in it? 
to see what Jesus has done, to see how it fulfills, fulfills the Old Testament, to see how Jesus came to get to the cross. And so we read Luke and Acts with that in mind. I think that's the first take home. The second one is, in some ways is a little kind of divergent, but I think it's really important. Something I um, heard, heard um, this week that I thought was really helpful. I want to encourage you to deal with the history question. Particularly, any uh, younger people here, uh, any youth, young adults, there's a good chance, maybe some of you got lots of questions now and you're doubting, and I'd love you, and I really want to encourage you to investigate it. But if you are a believer as well, you love Jesus and you follow him, I want to encourage you now to deal with the history questions about Jesus. Is this reliable? Does it stack up? Because there will be a time when there'll be niggling doubts, when you'll wonder, when I was a teenager and I believed in the gospel, or in my time at university, or in your 30s and 40s, or however old you are, and you think, you know, my work colleagues just say, it's just not reliable, it's just not consistent, and that book he's reading really makes sense of it all. It can't be trusted. Eyewitness accounts, that can change so easily. Those challenges will come. Wouldn't it be far better to investigate that history question and see the reliability of it and do it now? That's what I kind of did because I, I really was blessed to grow up in a family in which the history of Jesus was never questioned. His life, his death, his resurrection, I believed um, all, my, uh, all my life. I can't remember not believing in the history of things. I got to university and some of the people in my, um, in my course, those girls that were freaking me out the first few weeks, started asking questions about, well, how can you believe in that? That's not reliable. Now, I had a choice to make at that point. I could ignore it. I could just go, no, I believe it anyway, and just let it go and let those questions linger. Or I could investigate it. Now, to be honest, I wouldn't have done that last one uh, unless I was significantly pushed by an older uh, brother who was leading the Christian group at the time who pushed me to answer those questions even though I didn't really care about them at the time. I, I believe in it. The history is true. No, 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 no. People are asking you real questions. You need to investigate it. You need to be able to have answers. And I, but I don't care about this. It doesn't really interest me. I just love reading the Bible. But it pushed me and pushed me. And I found that the most helpful and encouraging experience because I read a couple books, one by Josh McDowell. Wow, this is actually more reliable than I thought was where I got to. If you want to do that, I'd encourage you to do that. And I'd love to help you with that. I think it's really important. And I'd love you to write, maybe write on the communication slip. I'd love, to, I'd love to deal with the history question. And if you wrote that down there, I'll contact you this week. And now we get to the third. The third question. The third uh, take home. Make sure your certainty comes from the right place. So I started off today by saying we want confidence, and, uh, but it's hard to attain. 
Brothers and sisters, do you want confidence in Jesus and what he's done for you? I want to say to you today, it's not hard to attain if you come to the scriptures and see it. You see, where do you find your confidence? You see, Luke 1, 1 to 4 of chapter 1 reminds us certainty comes from here, not from here. And I think that's a really important distinction to make. See, what gives us confidence is not our emotions or feelings of the time. I just don't feel it to be true anymore. How could I when my family has been destroyed in the latest bombings? If you start with confidence being here, you can waver. But if you start with your confidence where it actually is to be found in the scriptures, that does not waver. If you start with determining your confidence on what's going on around you, the experiences that you have in life, you will not have certainty in the gospel because you'll have good times and you'll have bad times. You'll have times of prosperity and blessing uh, and times where everything will fall apart. You'll have times where you may lose it all. You may lose loved ones. How can I have confidence in a God when that's happened to me? You can because the account of Jesus and his hope for the future is reliable and trustworthy. Where do we have our certainty? It's in the scriptures. It's not in our personal thoughts and other philosophical arguments. If we want to make philosophical arguments, you will get those niggling questions. You will start to doubt. Where is your centre? Where is the primary principle of where you centre your Christianity around? Your relationship with God. Is it in His Word? Or is it in you? Consider uh, your times when you struggle with doubts and, la- and, and, and battle with them. That's completely reasonable to happen. It happens to me, where we wrestle, where we struggle, whether it's what's going on in us, how we're feeling for whatever reason, what's going on in the world in, in general. Where do you go? To the Word or away from it? As I consider my my, uh, uh, life in pastoral ministry, whenever I've caught up with someone who is questioning the validity of it all, who reads Luke chapter uh, 1, if I read that with them, and say, I just don't know that it is reliable. I would say very rarely, I can't actually think of one, there must be, but very rarely would those people that I've spoken to be reading their Bible at those times, even though they've had a long Christian uh, faith of reading the Bible. Instead, they're delving into other thoughts and ideas without engaging with God's Word at the same time. Maybe... Letting, getting the, themselves all in their head and not thinking about uh, God's Word, but just letting their, their thoughts run away with themselves. 
You see, we are at times likely to all going to struggle with this. But what we have is it's certainty that comes from God. And so it's no surprise when we're not listening to his word, confidence wanes. If you're not a Christian, you, you could today go, oh, this is just all nonsense where Christians are just trying to convince themselves of it all. I can't trust in the eyewitness accounts. Are you kidding me? That's not how we operate today. You know, we don't want to overstate the eyewitness accounts. There are questions to be asked that can be answered, but, but it's a, there's a challenges of how can something 2,000 years ago still be true today? But if you truly want to have uh, those questions and doubts, can I encourage you to investigate thoroughly whether there is anything that is reasonable about the Christian faith? That is Luke's method, well, does it stack up? Thoroughly read his gospel, his account of how the church came into being and then ask your doubts and questions and throw them at that. You see, Christians have a reason to be confident in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's because God has revealed it to us. Let's pray that we will keep on coming back to his word and have confidence in it. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for uh, Luke and his thorough investigation, investigation of your son and what has been done. It is great joy to your people that we can read what Jesus has done. Remind us time and time again that you reveal yourself to us in a way that we can have confidence in, as we've been reminded today. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is no fanciful dream, but a real, trustworthy uh, life that gives us life. Father, we thank you for his death and resurrection. Uh, help us, help those today who are struggling uh, with certainty, with confidence. Help us to build each other up. Help us to come back to your word and see the confidence comes from encountering your son. We ask your spirit will help us to see your word to see your son with more clarity, day by day. So with joy we can have confidence and live for you, longing for your son's return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.